Good morning, y'all. Some folks say that talk is cheap. The people who say that probably are not referring to billable conversations with their lawyers, <laughs> business consultants, psychiatrists, curanderos, psychic hotline representatives, or other hardworking professionals who charge for their time. When we say talk is cheap, we're referring to that all too human tendency to say things we do not actually mean or to speak words that are not at all backed up by our actions. I think it was the great father, St. Elvis of Memphis, <laughs> who said, too much conversation, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. Because all this agitating ain't satisfaction in me. It's true that we abuse uh, disrespect uh, and generally uh, mess around with this amazing gift and capacity we have for speech, for communication. More true than that, however, is the fact that we are created to converse. In fact, if I had the poetic license of notorious B.I.G., which I do not possess, I would say we are created to conversate. We are born for great conversations. We are born with this capacity and this drive to engage uh, and to go deep uh, through words, through listening. If I didn't know this already, I certainly learned it or learned it in a deeper way uh, as I got to know my granddaughter, uh, Margot. Margot turned two on Valentine's Day a couple of years ago. The average two-year-old knows between 75 and 100 words. Margot, on her second birthday, knew exactly 230 words. Now, how do I know this? I know because her very well-adjusted, uh, lexically-minded, semi-competitive mother was keeping an exact word count. <laughs> the reality is, Margot, like your grandkids or your kids, she from a very early age, was hungry for a conversation, at times desperate uh, to be heard and understood. So <clears throat> for several months before Margot turned two, uh, there was a recurring conversation about an incident that occurred in the play area at Chick-fil-A. An older girl had pushed Margot and pulled her hair. That was a new experience for Margot, and she did not like it one bit. Margot kept thinking about the incident, trying to comprehend what happened, and some variation of the following conversation would ensue. Push, girl, Margot says, her little face 
scrunching up, remembering. Oh, I know, Mama says. There was a little girl at Chick-fil-A, and she pushed you. Wasn't very nice of her, was it? Hair, says Margot. Her hand in a chubby fist, she squeezes the bob of her little ponytail. Yes, and she pulled your hair, Mama says. Sad, says Margot, pulling her face into a dramatic droop. And it made you sad, Mama says. I'm sorry, Kitty. It's never nice to push other people or pull their hair. But you're okay, and we have lots of happy memories at Chick-fil-A, too. Boy, says Margot. Help you, boy. That's right, says Mama. A little boy came and told Mamie. You were sad. And she crawled into the tunnel to get you. Yeah, says Margot. Should we say a prayer, Mama asked, for the little girl who pushed you? No, <laughs> says Margot. You can relate. You can probably relate to the awkward tears at some weird moment when you're talking about your grandkids or your kids. It just so happens that it's just as desperate and uh, uh, intense as Margot is to this day to have a conversation, and now she is a relentless talker. Those of you who have, uh, God bless you, who have uh, been with her in the nursery can testify to Margot's eloquence, her determination, and we are just as thrilled and excited to have a conversation with her, and we have been. Well, this is a big clue about who we are. This is a big clue about who God is uh, and the way he made us. So the fact is we're created uh, to converse because we're made in the image of the God who speaks and listens, the God who seeks to know and to be known. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. These words that introduce the fourth gospel. In the beginning was the what? The Word. In the beginning was the Word. That's who God shows himself to be. Uh, the God who speaks and listens. And of course, John 1 echoes the beginning of the whole scripture, the beginning of everything. In the beginning, what did God do? He spoke. God spoke everything into existence. We have this God who speaks and he has created us to speak. And we have this God who listens and has created us to listen. We have this God who himself from all eternity has been participating in this amazing conversation of love and he invites us into it. This is the good news. And of course God took communication with us to the next level, when the Logos, the eternal word, became flesh, becomes the incarnate word, and he lived among us. That is God's ultimate expression of his intense desire to have a conversation with us, that the word became flesh. And of course, God didn't stop speaking at creation. He doesn't speak solely and exclusively through the word made flesh or the word he's given us 
God speaks to us, the psalmist says, and declares his glory through the heavens. Through Just go out in the country sometime and look up. It's one of the best things about hunting season, isn't it? Just to get out in the woods and look up and see the way God is declaring uh, who he is and speaking so powerfully. So God is inviting us to this deep dialogue. So the theological term for the dialogue that God is calling us into, this is right out of your Bible, is koinonia. And David referenced this term when he was preaching on Acts 2 a couple of weeks ago. When the, when the Bible says that, that the first believers were dedicating themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The word there is koinonia. And I am frustrated by our inability to translate this word in a way that actually conveys the depth and the power and the beauty of what God is calling us into when he calls us into koinonia. Fellowship, I'm sorry, we have weakened the word by our substandard expectations and experiences of fellowship. Now, you have at your best moments, I suspect, in the church experienced actual koinonia, but what passes for fellowship very often or a series of superficial conversations uh, and people being intentionally evasive about anything that actually matters. That is not koinonia. What God calls us to is koinonia. And what uh, is amazing to know is that God's very being is koinonia. We serve and love a God who is Trinity, a God who from all eternity has been engaged in a dialogue of loving conversation, Father, Son, and Spirit. We get very few glimpses of this in Scripture, but we get them where the Father addresses the Son. And this dialogue of love, this communion of the Trinity, becomes the communion uh, with man in the incarnation. This is the koinonia, the, the biblical term for Jesus taking on the blood and the flesh of humanity is he became koinonia with us, the preacher in Hebrew says. And this is what we're invited to. This is what we're called to. So God's very being is relational. He has created us for loving relationships. The deepest desire of the human heart is to love and to be loved and to know that we are loved. That's exactly the way God wired us. And God himself calls us to that relationship. And something within us runs and resists and evades and ducks and dodges. And the sad fact is God created us for koinonia. God created us in a life of koinonia in the garden and that koinonia was ruptured, vandalized when we broke off the conversation and went our own way. And we went into the mode of hiding and then God went into the mode of seeking. And this is the good news of Jesus is that he found us. And those of us who've responded to his grace and embrace the good news of the gospel 
We delight in having been found. And we take no credit and have no bragging rights for finding Him. But we rejoice to know and to be known. So why would we settle for anything like a superficial fellowship when God is inviting us and calling us to koinonia? It's interesting that uh, the readings from the gospel today is this great story about a fishing, fishing trip, right? And uh, we learn in that uh, that uh, Simon Peter had a boat and he had some partners and they had their own boat. And uh, we learn that Jesus, without being invited, just stepped into Peter's boat and assumed the position and finished his teaching and then turned around to Peter, who's wondering uh, why this guy's in his boat, and gives him a very clear directive, let's push out to the deep water and cast our nets. Peter is a professional fisherman. He had been fishing all night. He knows the fish aren't biting. He knows this is an exercise in futility. Nevertheless, Jesus gave him that, I'm Jesus, look, and Peter said, okay, whatever. With no expectations, uh, he takes his boat out. He doesn't even bother his partners. He lets them stay by the shore and rest. Now, what do you think the word is for the partnership that Peter has with his fishing, with his business partners? What is the Greek word? Koinonia. It, this was the word for a secular business partnership in the language uh, of the day, in the, in the Koine Greek of the first century. Koine comes from Koinonia, the common tongue of the first century. Your business partner and, and you would have Koinonia in a purely secular transaction. But if you've ever been involved in a business partnership, you know it's a deep, it's a deep engagement. In fact, good lawyers would tell you what about partnerships? What would a, what would a good lawyer tell you? Stay out of them. Because you're vicariously liable for the actions of your partner. This, person, this other person can be your ruination through a partnership. So lawyers have devised all types of uh, legal uh, mechanisms for protecting one partner from another with more nuanced uh, legal forms. And wise business people avoid pure partnerships. That's interesting, right? But to me, it's interesting. What God is calling us into is this partnership. What Jesus, in fact, offered, because they go out and what happens? He puts down the net, and all of a sudden the nets are tearing, and he says, wait a minute, payday. He calls his partners. Come get in on this. We're going to have a great month after all because the fish now are biting like we've never seen. We can't even, we're sinking our boats. What was Peter's first reaction most likely when he discovers that Jesus has this knack for fishing. Yes, I'm willing to let you be on partnership track in my business, Jesus. Wouldn't the first reaction of a good businessman be if I found somebody who can bring in, you know, a revenue uh, like this to my firm? I'm going to invite you to be part of my business. But that's not what happened, right? No. Jesus invites Peter to be part of the ultimate koinonia, the ultimate partnership. 
with this ultimate mission where we go out and we fish as agents of God's love with the good news of the gospel for people who desperately hunger for community, for communion. So, so there you go. So this word, which is just a secular business term, now becomes this word which, which describes uh, the deep and powerful relationship that's available to us uh, by God's grace. So what do you do with an invitation like that? First, we understand that communion is a gift. Uh, we cannot manufacture it. We cannot earn it. We cannot artificially produce it. Uh, there uh, is no team-building activity that can create koinonia. It is not an artifice of human ingenuity. Koinonia is a gift of the Spirit of God. This is what the Spirit creates among us. And the biblical and theological fact is, if we are baptized uh, into Christ, then we are, part of, we are part of this koinonia. It's just a fact of your life. The deepest longing that you have as a human being for connectedness, for, commun for communication, for a deep loving dialogue, no holds barred honesty, is available to you now as a gift of the Holy Spirit in this very body. So what do we do when we're offered an amazing gift? What's the only response that makes sense? So that's my fourth point. Say yes to communion every day. This should be a conscious, prayerful, a deliberate act on the part of every follower of Jesus. Psalm 95, our, our reading from the Old Testament, uh, starts off in a very benign, uh, worshipful way, and it takes a sharp turn when the psalmist says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. This is looking back, the psalmist is looking back at one of the most catastrophic moments in the life of Israel. When at a decisive point in time, they failed to trust God's promise about the land. And every Sabbath, in the first century synagogue, this scripture was read. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That is the mission of every follower of God. The author and the preacher in Hebrews, preaching to people who are about to make a catastrophically bad decision to turn their backs on the gospel in the face of adversity and persecution, quotes this verse three times in 11 verses in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The fact is, we have two missions every day as followers of Jesus. Step one, hear his voice. That should be your expectation. That shouldn't be an unusual day. That's the normal Christian day, is to hear the voice of God. And we can hear the voice of God in a variety of ways, right? We can open the scripture. We can and should on a daily basis open the scripture with the expectation 
that we will hear from God. We can and should engage with believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be very intentional on a daily basis to put ourselves into conversations with someone who is in our life as an encourager, and we should be in their life as an encourager to hear the word of God because God speaks to us through our brothers and sisters in the quantity of the spirit. We should every day be quiet in prayer and listen with the expectation that God through his spirit will give us direction and we should be ready every day. Please, this time of year is especially good to go outside and look up. Have you checked out some of these sunsets we've been getting lately? Here in Houston, Texas, with our hyper-challenged geography and our less than uh, uh, optimal uh, climate, we get outrageously beautiful skies uh, this time of year if you just go outside at the right time and look west. And then once a week, please get out in the country and take your kids and just look up. Take a short drive, get away from the light pollution, and look up and let God declare his glory. And in all of those situations where you seek to hear God's voice today, every day as long as it's called today, you have one proper response. Yes. Yes. God, I'm saying yes to your love in Jesus. I'm saying yes to your glory. I'm saying yes to these friendships that you've put in my life. And I'm saying yes to this amazing adventure you've called me to in this koinonia where I get to be an ambassador of your grace and your good news uh, in a world where people are desperately hungry for something they cannot quite express, which is honest conversation and dialogue. This is the one great path to shalom in a culture like ours that is disintegrating uh, with outrage and ridiculousness. We have the gospel. So today, if you hear his voice, say yes to Koinonia. Amen.